Hey y'all, it's Michael. Thank you for checking back in. This is uh, episode seven of eight. So the penultimate episode, as you might call it, of the Mindful Empath series. Now I understand that most of these, um, because they originate from a Facebook Live, it might be a little bit uh, challenging to really capture what's going on with just audio. But uh, I appreciate you, appreciate you guys checking in on, on the feed every once in a while. I will get back to some more curated and um, and uh, interview-based podcasts in the new year. So right now I'm just kind of using this feed to um, continue to, to put out the content that I'm working on, which uh, right now is the Facebook Lives. But in the new year, I look to get back into doing the uh, regular podcast on a regular basis. So I appreciate you guys checking in. And this particular conversation is around relationships and what it means to have an empathic relationship and utilize radical empathy within relationships. Uh, So in many ways, I feel like this translates uh, beyond the understandings of what most might uh, feel about themselves as empaths into a more generalized kind of conversation about what it means to have a healthy relationship that is mutually empathic and vulnerable and transparent. So I hope you enjoy the content. Please come to the Facebook page and like uh, the Mindful Empath page or come to the Empathy and Podcast community page and uh, let me know what you think about it. I'm always on the lookout for for feedback, good and bad alike, and uh, helpful criticism. So please, don't be shy. Reach out and let me know what you think. And I appreciate you checking in. Here is the episode, episode seven of the Mindful Empath series, talking about relationships. So good morning, you guys. Um, today is... Uh, I think going to be a good day. I, I hope that you guys get something out of this. And I feel like what I've been trying to build from the first session, especially all the way up until uh, kind of session five, was the foundations for how I feel we can... Um, we can kind of exist within a very tumultuous emotional world without having to take on those characteristics. Um, I feel like that's been a big part um, of what I've been trying to do. Thank you, Paula. I love my room and all my plants. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think that the the being honest about who we are, how we exist, uh, in the world, how we oftentimes can soak up uh, the negative as well as positive emotions and anxieties around us. Um, hopefully, within those first five sessions, we've talked a little bit about how, one, how does it happen? How does it occur? And two, how can we manage it? 
um, the number one thing that um, the number one thing that I've noticed is just the um, prevailing wisdom of the internets that tell us that um, empaths are just kind of they're a mess <laughs> and, and there's no help and I, I don't I'm just being silly at this point but it, it, it feels like a lot of what you read out there when you dig into the wormhole that is Google about empathy and empaths you seem to get a very gloom and doom version of what it means to be an empath which again at least from my um from my understanding how i've studied this and what i've learned thus far um i believe that everybody has the empathic inclination uh, whether they use it or whether they um their specific brain chemistry kind of inhibits it at some point um those are those are factors that we need to discuss and, and that we have discussed but um fundamentally i feel like we are all um uh, able to be uh highly empathic and so those first five sessions were kind of the the what am i talking about and maybe even a little bit of the when kind of the opportunities that we have to engage in empathy and with our empathic energy and last session we kind of continued on the conversation about growth and how i feel like that is a a, a pillar principle of uh, of kind of how to be a mindful empath um the the perspective to have not only on yourself but on the world at large that there is abundance there is more we are not just one thing we are not a fixed uh we are not a a a a a, a fixed place within our geography um there is more to learn uh about ourselves about other people um keeping curiosity as the primary key how we enter into relationship um kind of discarding the idea of certainty uh to a certain degree to say that um there's always more to learn um most of us at one point in time or another have heard the idea like you know if you feel like you've achieved it whatever that it is um then you probably have not Let's see, Paula. Not often seen in a positive light. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shirts with empath. Yeah, I, I, I think we sometimes have these neon signs above our heads that are just blaring and glowing and saying, you know, come, you know, come talk to me, tell me everything. Um, that's what it feels like, at least. So that's kind of where we're where we're at we we kind of laid the foundation of what we feel like it is uh we talked about growth which is the first of kind of what i consider the main principle and then the secondary principle and I, man 
I love the number three. I would have loved to find three, but I'm not going to make something more complicated than it shouldn't be. But when I really sat down and thought about it, I feel like there is two principles, both in mindfulness and and this idea of empathy and being an empath. The first is growth. And the second is connection. But it's as simple as that. And so we talked for about two sessions about the growth part. And then we're going to talk about relationships today. So we're going to get into kind of the connection piece. And then next week, we're going to take them both together, kind of wrap it all up and um, kind of uh, talk about what it means to be a mindful empath. Uh, So today, relationships. Let me get my handy dandy notebook here. Um, And I'm about to say this knowing that my girlfriend is watching. Hey, Jennifer. Um, Last week, when we were talking about um, certainty, I brought up Stephen Covey and his seven uh, habits of highly effective people. And there's some, there's some good nuggets in there, um, honestly. And uh, the one that we talked about last week was um, his fifth habit, which was the idea of um, mindful listening right? Uh, Seek to understand or yes, seek to understand and then be understood. That is, uh, that is kind of at the heart of what it means to be present in communication and present in relationship. Well, today, and this is why I was joking about my girlfriend being uh, or watching, his second habit is instructive as well, because uh, it might, uh, or it helps to consider how we might start the conversation on relationships. And it's ironic that we talk about starting because the second habit is begin with the end in mind. Okay. I am not talking about the end of a relationship. That is not what I mean by using that principle. But as I really started thinking about this, and of course, being twice divorced myself, I started thinking about how we oftentimes restrict relationships based on expectations, right? Um, Again, that's kind of a fixed mindset. We, we achieve something. We, uh, even in relationship, I mean, we see it in, in career and vocation all the time, but in relationship, you might have achieved uh, the pinnacle of that particular relationship gotten married, long-term boyfriend, long-term girlfriend, whatever, uh, life partner, whatever the case may be. But once you've kind of achieved that thing, uh, then it's oftentimes a process of uh, meeting that expectation or failing to meet that expectation. And oftentimes failing to meet expectations cause suffering. That's uh, one of the Buddhist principles that I've really started to kind of come to grips with. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the so 
again, the, the idea of ending well is more about understanding how, as two human beings, do they want to see their lives progress with each other, right? Or And it could be two or more. We're going to, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about romantic relationships, but this is really, uh, can be read or can be understood from any type of relationship. Um, when you have when you have two or more human beings that are in an uh, empathic and energetic uh, relationship, do they take the time to imagine where they want to be in the future and imagine their own growth line and then have some real, honest, empathy-filled discussions with their partners, with their family, with whomever they are in relationship with, to say, this is where I see myself going. Is this where you see you going? Um, being in, in, in parallel and being in, in tandem, kind of uh, going down life's journey is an important check-in that we have to do. And, and that's part of what it means to be um, to have empathy in relationship. Um, oh no, I've got my other notebook. I'm going to have to pause. Talk amongst yourselves. Say hello to each other. <laughs> Forgot something downstairs. I will be right back. Phew! I'm back. Thank you for doing that, Paula and Teresa and Jennifer. Nice to see you today. <laughs> Phew! Sorry about that. I had this downstairs. I had my one notebook, and uh, realized that the next piece that I wanted to do. Actually, let me breathe for a moment. It's been a little bit. Misty here too, Teresa. We had some rain overnight, I believe. <sighs> okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. I actually, before I really kick off into the meat of this, I wanted to share, and I know this is going to be backwards. This is John O'Donohue's book again, uh, To Bless the Space Between Us. Beautiful book of blessings. Highly encourage you all to get it, and um, I will make sure to put it in the um, comments. But I wanted to share this with you guys. It's one of his blessings, and it's called For Belonging. 
Oh, that's awesome. Y'all can hear that in the background. That's okay. For belonging. May you listen to your longing to be free. May the frames of your belonging be generous enough for your dreams. May you arise each day with a voice of blessing whispering in your heart. May you find a harmony between your soul and your life. May the sanctuary of your soul never become haunted. May you know the eternal longing that lives at the heart of time. May there be kindness in your gaze when you look within. May you never place walls between the light and yourself. May you allow the wild beauty of the invisible world to gather you, mind you, and embrace you in belonging. For belonging, John O'Donoghue. And then I did want to read something that I wrote this past week. Um, in regards to relationships. This is called Ending Well. For the empath, relationships are both fuel and fire. The energy from a mutually empathic relationship serves as a base camp of sorts for all involved. It can be a place of restoration and rejuvenation and a training ground for its inhabitants to learn how to be and fully experience the benefits of an empathic relationship. This type of relationship is only limited by the willingness of its members to extend boundaries and break stereotypes. From the outside looking in, many will be confused with the characteristics of this type of relationship, as they often take on traits that seem counter to the prevailing culture's standards. Why is that? I believe that it's because in an empathic relationship is inherently non-possessive, non-transactional, and when it ends, non-antagonistic. Most folks don't know what to do with these types of relationships, especially if they are of the romantic type, or if they began that way. I know this firsthand. After my most recent divorce, I had a lot of falling out, or I, I had a bit of a falling out with my family. The source of the issue was that rather than seeing the events and our handling of it as a positive for my ex and I and our family, they were upset that neither of us prioritized the possession of each other or how others outside of our relationship were to be affected. Now, there are many layers to this that I could peel away, but fundamentally, it is a situation where our commitment to each other's health and happiness within the marriage inevitably led us to dissolve the marriage. This is confusing to many especially those who take their cues on relationships from a society and culture whose basis for the marriage contract is based on puritanical concepts and biblical ideas of hierarchy and possession. But that's another discussion 
altogether. The mutually empathic romantic relationship allows for the ebb and flow of life and recognizes the energetic signs of the seasons of life. The thing is, we injure ourselves and others in relationship most because we don't know how to end our relationships well. We've been conditioned to believe that love and relationships are something we fight for. This is not to say I don't believe that we should stand up and make our heart and voice heard for relationships that truly matter to us. Mostly, this is an encouragement to practice some healthy non-attachment in our relationships. In every relationship, we have a defining characteristic or set of traits in our mind for the people we love. But none of these things should be incontrovertible. I think that's how you say that. If our friend, lover, or spouse begins to change, we need to allow for that change and then reassess whether our relationship adjusts to that change. In an empathic relationship, we must realize that our partner's growth is the ultimate goal, not our own gain. If they are growing in a direction that is not ours, we must let them. This is true for every relationship, not just romantic ones. Growth and progress are inevitable, and they're morally neutral. One can progress down a path of religious certainty or orthodoxy that is not in line with our path, but it might be theirs. That path is not ours, or it might not be ours. So you might need to choose to let them to go their own way, and they cannot drag you down it. I think it's healthy to hold our relationships in an open, with an open hand and heart. To invest in relationships with partners that want to be mutually vulnerable and transparent. And for those unwilling to participate, to let them go with grace. This is the difficult task of ending well, which can be something we acknowledge with a certain amount of grief when it happens. But it is also a sign that we are at a new beginning as well. And new beginnings. These are full of possibility and adventure. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that might feel a little bit odd to talk about, you know, relationships with the end in mind. But if the end in mind is about the health and growth and happiness of everybody involved, then the only outcome of that should should and could be a positive one. And it's not when we grieve when things end. That's not it at all. But it's allowing for those individual journeys and for those individual rates of growth. So I say I give kind of three characteristics of empathic relationships in their uh, non-possessive, non-transactional, and non-antagonistic. And I want to dig a little bit deeper 
into each one of those um, as we kind of continue talking. My pecan coffee again. Everyone has their own journey, their own path to take. When we are in relationship, we choose to walk in parallel with the other person. This can be hard to distinguish sometimes because many of us have similar or common goals or even a common destination, right? But the journey isn't just a course to follow, but the pace at which you take it and how you handle the detours along the way. Does that make sense? I mean, there's a distinction there I feel like is worth talking about. You can perceive a a common path, a common destination, a common ethic, a common way of believing about the world. You can have all those commonalities. And because of them, you can decide to pair up with somebody. It could be a best friend. It could be a business partner. It could be a spouse. It could, it spans across all types of relationships. So there might be common characteristics that feel, um, some, that, that it's something that we hold on to. But the pace at which we go on our journeys, how we handle detours, all of those things kind of, uh, Kind of build an aggregate of, of how, I don't know if compatible is the right word, but how we do this thing together. And again, uh, the pace and destination is right, uh, for that person. Uh, and this is one of those situations where perhaps the end justifies the means kind of thing. It, they will end up in a spot where they are supposed to end up. And so holding on uh, to, to, that, uh, to that person uh, based on some of those things, when they feel like they need to slow down or where they feel like they need to veer off, that's at least important to be sensitive to, right? Non-possession is also a characteristic <clears throat> of how we deal with long-term romantic relationships and the stigma of divorce within romantic relationships. I've gone through this twice, and I know some of y'all have too. Um, it, it feels like at some point, and, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to um, bemoan um, marriage as an institution or however you want to kind of talk about that necessarily. Not at all. Um, I'm suggesting perhaps even outside of marriage or in, in, in other types of relationships, the combined identity of the two people ends up being something that like larger than, than the two uh, together. Yeah. I know Val. Um, that's it's I just concluded one it, it's it's not easy and it, it's it's hard to kind of work through and make sense of it uh, in light of everybody's health 
and well-being. It is hard to do the health and well-being part because we are conditioned for those moments to allow them to be antagonistic in nature. Um, I think this is a good spot to kind of bring up the ideas of codependence and interdependence again, right? Um, healthy empathic relationships are interdependent, not codependent. As empaths, if we define who we are and our own self-worth using someone else's well-being as our measuring stick, that's when we've fallen into codependency. And this can often happen in relationships um, when the identity of the individual of the individuals is subsumed by the identity of the pair. That's kind of what I was saying before. Um, there's a lot there to dig into, quite honestly, um, especially from a therapeutic and, and psychological standpoint that um, I would love to have conversations with professionals from that perspective. Um, I have my opinions as somebody who's gone through uh, divorce uh, a couple times at this point. Um, but the integrity and the health um, of the individuals is of the utmost importance, especially uh, any kind of fallout with family. And that's what that's what we kind of experienced going through this, perhaps in a healthier way the last time. Um, taking the time to listen to the, the hard feelings and the rough emotions of our eight-year-old um, while being committed to uh, ensuring that, that, I mean, there's no bad guy in this situation. We literally just woke up almost a year ago at this point. We literally just woke up and said, yeah, this, this kind of isn't working anymore. And from then on, and the process of untangling our lives from each other and figuring out what What's healthy for me might not be healthy uh, for her. And just kind of reinforcing a lot of these things that I've been thinking about, just the idea that um, a destination and some commonalities uh, don't always a, a great pair make, to be quite honest. Let me see Val. Breaking the codependence has been the most excruciating part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, love you, girl. Uh, I know that's, it's, it's not easy. And especially when we start thinking about relationships as something that we invest in. Um, and when you have so much investment in a relationship, coming to that point where you've decided that for the betterment of the family, for the betterment of you, for all the individuals involved, it's 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 healthier to separate. Um, that's that's the that's a tough decision to make 
you inspire me, Val. I I love your transparency, and um, one of these days we will meet IRL, as the kids say. Oh my gosh, I'm so old. Okay, I'm sorry, you guys. Um, healthy interdependence involves a balance of self and others within the relationship where you recognize that both partners work to be present and meet each other's needs, physical, emotional, in appropriate and meaningful ways. Interdependence is, is one of those things that kind of I insinuate in the thing that I wrote. Interdependence is one of those things that society at large doesn't know what to do with. Um, they don't, they don't understand the uh, the non enmeshed married couple. Um, I mean, maybe we've kind of modernized a lot of approaches. Maybe uh, maybe there's been representation in media on on how to do uh, relationships in this manner. But by and large, what you see out there is. Um, this completely wrapped up in you kind of model of of relationships that almost always bear striking resemblance to codependent relationships and so it, it it's how do you and where do you find models for uh healthy interdependence within uh within society um, they don't know what to do uh, with with that, the other part of non-possessive relationships, I think, is important to consider. Um, is is the kids, and so, like I said, a lot of this uh, spans across different types of relationships. But I wanted to give you another example from my own personal life. A few years ago, my um, my ex-wife. Uh, the with the twins up in Wyoming told me that um, for numerous reasons they wanted to the twins wanted to change their name uh, to their um, stepdad and she was afraid to bring it up with me <clears throat> and and I can understand why because again culturally the idea of of name and of family is such a strong imprint on how we perceive um on kind of how we perceive somebody's legacy right um and, and these are all very odd concepts to me i mean we're we're not you know in the we're not royals necessarily we're we're not living in a time where your name is some, at least not in my socioeconomic <laughs> slice, uh, where your name is, uh, is uh, equal to some amount of transactional or, or commodity kind of force. Um, but the, conver the conversation came up for numerous reasons that I won't necessarily get into, but What I had to kind of come to grips with, and it wasn't easy, it was hard, was 
my children um, and my name, for them to have the Evans last name, um, is uh, that is a kind of a possessive uh, label. Um, yeah, matter of possession, they are mine. Exactly. Uh, uh, that's how we relate to our children. Um, so often in ways and in vocabulary that kind of insinuate possession. And I'm protective of them. I love them. They always know that I am there for them and that I will do whatever I can if they need, ever need anything that I am there to provide support for them. Um, but my, my last name being tagged on to theirs isn't a disqualifier of, you know, my love and support for them. It's just another, like I said, example of how we, of how we kind of reframe relationships with a more empathic kind of sensibility to perhaps understand that, you know, in, in not too long, my 13 year old kids, they're going to be adults. They're going to be their own, their own. They're going, they're, they have an ownership of who they are, both in personality and in name and in action. I mean, how often do we talk about wanting our kids to own their, um, their behavior and own what they do and own who they are? Well, how can we have that conversation on a behavioral level? Um, but then completely contradict that in how we, um, kind of engage with them in, in other ways. So, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's not just the romantic relationship. It's absolutely others and, and how possession, uh, is a, a big part of the kind of common understanding of marriage even especially um yeah and that's a whole historical kind of uh rabbit hole that rabbit hole yeah that we won't go down right this moment um okay so non-possessive non-transactional this is also hard especially in balance with the previous discussion on interdependence and codependence in an empathic relationship, both sides are attuned to the energy and act accordingly of the relationship. There is no ledger to balance or a quid pro quo. There is just presence, vulnerability, and transparency. My married daughter did not take her husband's name and was a non-issue to Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, there is no ledger to balance. There is no prid, 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 quid pro quo. There is just presence, vulnerability, and transparency. But there's some nuance here, of course, right? Because there are times when you can sense that the collective energy, like in between two people, especially, 
that you can sense that the collective energetic resources of the relationship are being expended faster than they are being added to. So let's talk about this real quick. In every relationship, you do things and you, uh, you, you generate energy into the relationship that can then be, uh, is like this big pile of combined resources that, uh, really kind of provides the fuel to, to keep the relationship going to, to keep the fire going. If you are expending more energy than you are adding to it, um, then it does feel a little bit like balancing a checkbook when you're spending more than, than you're making. So there, there is a little bit of back and forth there, but I think the caveat here, um, cause if you find yourself in an energetic, um, if you find yourself in an energetic relationship where, uh, where it's being expended more than it's being added to, then it would absolutely be a cause for conversation. And it's not about laying blame, but about observing the situation and reflecting together whether it's something to be concerned about or not. Again, just an opportunity for empathy and communication. Let me see what y'all are. We have a baby boy, gave him... First name, middle, daughter's last name, then son-in-law's last name. Yeah. <laughs> See, and that's so that's really awesome, Val, because I think that just goes to prove that we we find there is strength and power and symbolism in in name, especially within family. Um, and we can find creative ways to enforce that. With, without kind of claiming kind of possession uh, kind of within the process, there are ways to honor the power of a name um, without making it possessive. And that's an awesome example of that. I love that. So the idea of non-transactional, and I think we've, kind of talked about this before. I mean, if our relationships are purely based on what you get out of it, then it is just um it, it it's it's very lopsided because my expectations for what I should receive for for any given uh energetic exchange, my expectation might be different than my partner's, right? And so what I'm putting into it might not be equal to what I expect out of it. And I know all of this conversation is a little bit nebulous and kind of vague and perhaps intentionally so because I think it's different for everyone. Um, so the Gary Chapman book, The Five Love Languages, that's, that kind of speaks a little bit to how we might understand energy in relationship, right? Uh, the concept of love languages. I think there is some value to that. 
understanding how you receive love might not be the same way how you give love. Uh, and some things might be more powerful than others. These are all conversations that we should absolutely be having with our, with our partners, um, with our, with our friends, with our spouses, with our siblings, with, I mean, again, across any type of relationship. These are the type of vulnerable, transparent, empathy-filled conversations that I think are absolutely necessary to see uh, true progress and productivity within a relationship. And I don't mean productivity in the sense that you're uh, uh, creating something that is not there. I mean productivity in the sense that we're we're all moving forward, right? Um, that there is no we might go backwards in our mind when we are um, having moments of of regret or remembering trauma or uh, any any number of ways that we can time travel to go backwards but the re the reality of the now being fully present is the reason why at least I am even talking about mindfulness in the first place. To be an empath in this world, to have all these emotions and this craziness swirling about us, if we are, if we are able to clearly anchor ourselves in the moment, in the present moment, then we just by, just by nature of doing that, are able to cut out a lot of the noise that we hear about anxiety for the future or or regret about the past. Now, I'm not saying that we act with no regret. I'm saying that if we if we approach every moment in the present and be mindful and be empathic and be uh, be curious about people and uh, and do this thing. Uh, with kindness, then in many ways there there should be uh, no reason for regret or no basis for anxiety. Um, and of course, I say all that knowing that we mess up and we mess up a lot, and we should have empathy for ourselves and uh, and be uh, be honest and open and transparent to the folks around us. When those types of things happen, Christian books were total all about possession hierarchy. I just would not. Yeah, a lot of the relationship. I, I was a, a manager at a Christian bookstore um, for a few years while I was in seminary, and yes, uh, there the the volume of material uh, in talking about relationships was large. And the unfortunate fact of the matter is that, yes, it is all kind of bathed in a very um, hierarchical and um, patriarchal kind of view of relationships that are um, very much about uh, possession. Yes, Teresa was at that bookstore with me. <laughs> that was a heck of a season, wasn't it? Um, 
and that you know and and that is that's a big part of what i am trying to combat against especially in this conversation about um uh, relationships is that um yep based largely on male entitlement yep that's right and it was bullshit you're correct about that too um <laughs> i don't have to tell you you're correct you know you're correct um how we reframe our relationships is going to be very it's going it's going to be challenged uh by the by religious orthodoxy especially um because of the way in which they've maintained a very archaic and patriarchal and power-driven model of relationships. And, and even further, it just proves to show that it's not just about romantic relationships. I mean, we can see that power dynamic and that patriarchy in relationship among, among, among relationships with, with fathers and family and husbands and wives and firstborn sons over, oops, firstborn, firstborn sons over, uh, over the daughters of, of any given family. I mean, it is soaked in it. And in many ways, it was because it was, um, because it was an artifact of the biblical times in which we try to, you know, copy paste and put into our current, um, in our, into our current reality. It, it, it does, it just does not work. It doesn't work. Um, but we peel back on it a li little by little. Um, we peel back on it by embracing and loving our LGBTQ community and with open and clear eyes, seeing who they are and fully embracing their, their ability to love and marry who they want. That is a big part at least in my heart about how we kind of take up the mantle of how do we change this perspective on relationships that relationship might not be mine but that is indicative of a bigger problem and because they are my brothers and sisters in humanity and I want to live an empathy filled life i am that that is one of my big reasons for doing something like this being able to uh to fully embrace uh women in power um women as a vice president or president of the united states women ceos um women in the church i can sometimes come across as a little cynical about church I have a part of my heart that still loves the church. And I want to be really honest with folks about that. But damn y'all, you know, until, until some major changes 
are made, I don't know that I'm going back anytime soon. And it has to do with their relationship to the LGBTQ community and to uh, women in, women in leadership. Um, and it's not just a head nod and a wink, uh, kind of leadership, but leadership at the highest levels. This is the type of change we need to see in order for us to reframe this idea of relationships at large, right? Um, I do, I, I, that is, thank you for, I don't know how that tangent happened because that was not on my notes, but I do think that is a big part of my heart and why I think this initiative is so important. Um, being willing to lean in with curiosity and being able to, um, go, you know, arm in arm with, with everybody to, uh, to change the structure of how things currently exist right now. I know I only have a few minutes left, so I'm going to, um, we went through non-possessive, non-transactional, um, and then non-antagonistic. Um, and, and honestly, non-antagonistic, I've already kind of, uh, talked a little bit about that. It's just the idea that, especially in romantic relationships and especially uh, uh, exiting a marriage, uh, a lot of the way in which society progresses from there on out is naturally and structurally antagonistic. And it doesn't need to be. Um, uh, but I will say this, the, the, the policies and procedures that we have in place for people to disentangle, uh, their lives from each other, especially within a marriage, I think are very important in order to maintain that, um, nobody is being taken advantage of. So I just want to, I want to be clear about that part of it. I'm not, um, kind of squashing the entire thing. But the process itself does not need to be antagonistic. Um, okay. I'm going to end with talking about non-detachment and impermanence. So these are two Buddhist principles. And I think I've put, I think I've written and even put, uh, put on either my own Facebook or this Facebook page where I talk about detachment. I understand that detachment, uh, even from a psychological term is not the same thing as what I am suggesting when I talk about like the Buddhist principle, which they would more clearly define as non-attachment. <clears throat> and the reason why I think it's important to discuss when we're talking about relationships is to realize that um, that the expectation of a thing and that um, failing to meet that expectation is largely the biggest source of suffering that we have basically in the world 
that sounds like a very grand idea, but I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. When we, when we are so uh, concerned about the outcome and about the label of about achieving that thing, about um, the expectation that you have built up in regards to a relationship or a person. Um, when you've set that up, more often than not, it's going to bring suffering. Now, that does not mean that we don't have goals and that we don't have intentions and that we don't have dreams. We absolutely do. We wake up every day with a dream of kindness and love and empathy for our family and for the people around us and wanting to progress towards a healthier, uh, more loving future. Those are all, um, those are all intentions and, and goals. And those are all things in which we can strive to do. We hold on to not only those things, but all the variables that kind of get added into that. We hold on to that very loosely. That's the non-attachment. We hold on to it loosely because of impermanence, which is the other principle. And impermanence is exactly what it sounds like. Everything changes all the time. Everything. Who you are right now is not the same person you were five minutes ago. Not at the physiological cellular level and not at the frame of mind level. You might think you're the same person, but you have learned something, hopefully, or I don't know that I'm offering this, but you, you are, you have consumed something that has changed you to a certain degree. Who you are now is not who you are five minutes ago, five days ago, five months ago, five years ago. And who you are now is not the same as you will be in five days, five months, five years down the road. And so if everything is going to change, if everything is going to be in flux around us, then why, why don't we just purely invest all of our love and time and energy and resources into the now? It's better. It's, it's healthier for us emotionally. It's better for us spiritually and psychically in, in the sense of the things that we are churning through in our brain. Non-attachment means that you are able to live your life outside of the other person. It ultimately takes pressure off and allows you to be without depending on anything or anyone to feed your soul. Non-attachment in relationships is not indifference or apathy to another person. It's an absence of fear. Fear and clinginess comes from a sense of impending loss. I think that, and I found, these are not my words, by the way, I found this uh, last night, but the idea that um, it's not indifference or apathy to another person, it's an absence of fear. Non-attachment is an absence of fear. 
because the fear and anxiety of losing something in the future that has not happened yet cause us great turmoil and cause us causes us uh, great suffering. Non-attachment in our relationships does not mean we don't dream for deep conversations, wedded bliss, and a lived happily ever after kind of love. It is in understanding that if any of these expectations or goals are not met, they won't be a failure. The attainment of the status or the relationship label does not preclude you from the present moment's bliss. Um, I mean, I, I think that in and of itself is just an eye-opening lesson as I was kind of reading up and researching and thinking about how I wanted to present the material today. Um, Non-attachment, impermanence, how we deal in empathic relationships. If we want to, if we want to be healthy, if we want our partners, our loved ones, our siblings, our children, parents, grandparents, <laughs> business partners, roommates, schoolmates, <laughs> if we want all of these people all of these people within our sphere of influence to live healthy and happy and productive lives. Our, our holding on to the expectation of who they are and who they should be based on a snapshot that I hold internally of them. That's not empathy. That's not empathy. We can mold people into personas from which they will grow out of. And unless we take that commitment to, uh, in empathy and within empathic energetic relationships, unless we take that commitment to live life with them along the way in curiosity and in love, then we are bound to 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 break expectations to grow outside of those personas we are bound to do it so the better yeah better i'll say it so the better way of doing this thing complete vulnerability complete transparency engage in empathy often um open conversations shame has no place within empathy-filled relationships. Open conversations, the, the, the power to engage in relationship with others in empathy will move your relationships further and deeper. Um, and it's kind of the only way, y'all. It really is. Um, I think we've seen too many broken relationships based on unmet expectations to not give it a, a different look or a different try. So, okay, you guys, I know I'm a couple minutes over, but I did have my little oh crap moment when I had to run downstairs. So 
I appreciate you guys. Um, shame-free discussions. Yes, please. Yeah. And that's hard, man. That's hard. That is like ripping a duct tape bandaid off, um, <laughs> every single time. It's not easy. It is not easy. Okay. Let's keep the conversation going. I would love to see you guys, um, uh, uh, conversing, uh, on the page. I will put out a, um, an event for next week, which will be the fine, uh, the final uh, episode in this inaugural series, and it will be called The Mindful Empath. And we will kind of talk a little bit of what we've learned about. And I appreciate you guys, and I love you guys, and I hope to see you next week. Bye.